You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. It's the first week of the season. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Joining me here is Matt Myers, MLB.com national editor. We're really excited to see some actual games starting. We've got some really interesting things to talk about. We, uh, we saw our first two five-star catches of the season. Uh, there were a couple of really cool wall balls that we need to get into the data, and we looked at early spin rate data for curveballs, and there's some really interesting names that pop out. Matt, I don't know about you. I'm really excited to get start talking about this. Well, the, there was the World Baseball Classic, but I, I know, you know what you, I, mean. I know, I, I know what I you actually mean. greatly enjoyed the World Baseball Classic, but you know what I mean. This I know exactly thing. what you mean. So this is really cool. Uh, so we are here on Thursday, and we're a couple days into the season, and um, we're we're starting to try to figure out how to walk that line between like drawing conclusions and not going nuts on what's like one percent of it a very long baseball season that's always like the tough part of this time of the year also with like a lot of rainouts like some, you know. also with a lot of rainouts um, but we have seen some cool things we saw uh on on monday our first two five-star catches of the season and they came pretty close to one another and i was actually really happy because they both looked cool and the data was cool and the two guys who did it they kind of told two very different stories right like the first guy it was byron buxton and i'm like i was so happy it's byron buxton we've been talking about on the show forever uh even though he's like you know 11 strikeouts and nine plate appearances right now or something like that i think it's one for 10 with six <laughs> yeah something like that not not a great start but he made this fantastic catch against alex gordon uh it was a 24 percent catch catch probability play so it just sneaked into being the five-star play it looked really nice um and it was really cool because you know he he didn't have a lot of time to go a relatively you know low distance so 2.9 seconds he had to go and he had 36 feet and he did it and it looked great but here's my favorite thing about this like 20 minutes later maybe not even he makes another great looking catch and at first you're like oh my god this is going to be another great look you know five-star play and it wasn't it was like 98 percent because if you watched it he went completely the wrong direction first and had to he broke back. back he he had to go 50 feet and he ran 64 feet. So, I mean, that's that's kind of fun. It's like two very different plays, but they kind of look the same in the end. And the other one, uh, Jose Bautista, which is kind of cool because Jose Bautista did not have a very good year in the outfield last year. 0 for 41 on five-star opportunities last year. And he made a great play against uh, Joey Rickard. First, it was his first five-star catch in the StatCast era. So, yes. So that was, uh, that was a big moment for him. And is that the, it was a very similar in terms of, like, batted ball specs. It was very similar to the Buxton play. Uh, opportunity time, three seconds, distance needed to cover 38 feet. Uh, so it's actually a slightly lower catch probability, 21%. But that's exactly the kind of – if Jose Batista is going to make a five-star catch, it's that kind of play, a play where, like, reaction time is more important than – high-end speed yeah you you kind of brought up this point in an unrelated meeting yesterday that i thought was really interesting what i like about this stuff is that guys who aren't necessarily viewed as being you know great outfielders they still can have that moment you know they can do this like uh, like jared weaver is not going to come out and throw a 98 mile an hour fastball tonight it's just not going to happen it's literally impossible for that to happen but jose bautista who was a below average outfielder last year can have the best play of the year which he does for the moment and i think that's really cool and like i think it's probably safe to say that like from a catch party perspective that is probably the best catch we will ever see from Jose Buzzi's. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right. And so I can already I can already understand what people are saying. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That, that's the best catch of the year. You guys saw Laura Moore, right? Like you saw Kevin Pillar. 
Uh, and that's true. We're going to get to those in just one second, but just very quickly, we want to make sure that you uh, you take a minute to look at the MLB Pipeline podcast, which is great. Focuses on all things draft and prospect related. Uh, Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo with Tim McMaster talk each week about the universe of MLB's future stars. Last week's episode was really cool because it was our friend Darren Sutton, who we worked with a lot last year, uh, talking about the National High School Invitational, talking about some of the top high school players in the nation, which is really cool. Darren is very passionate about all that. So search for Pipeline on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, and now we need to kind of talk about some of these wall ball plays, right? We've been pretty open about this. We do not account for wall balls yet. The Adam Jones play, we talked about that at length. Yeah, the Adam Jones State. play for the World Baseball Classic. Right. And then, uh, then on Tuesday night, the big moment, uh, I think it was bottom of the seventh, uh, Cubs-Cardinals, Matt Adams crushes the ball to deep center field. Uh, Albert Almora, uh, Cubs are holding a one-run lead at the time, goes back to the wall, leaps at the wall, makes the catch. Unclear if it was actually a home run robbery. Very, uh, it was very close. I'm not sure it would have gone over, but it was real. Very close. dramatic moment. Key play in the game. Great execution by Almora. All the above. Very high catch probability. You know, like ninety plus percent. So it's it's a combination of two things, right? It's a flaw in our system because we don't have walls yet. But it's also like if you look at the numbers, there was a lot of hang time on that ball, right? Yeah, I mean, it was. It, I'm of the belief that play in particular, and I this is one where like I'm not trying to be a, a wet blanket here because I think that like, you know, it's still he still has to execute the play, but I, that is one where I feel very con- like, unlike the Adam Jones play in WBC. We asked Ryan Spielborg to Fernando Perez about oh how many outfielders do you think would make this catch, and there was some debate of you know what percentage of outfielders would make the catch. The Elmore play, I literally think is a catch made. No, at least nine times out of ten. It was almost seven seconds of time, which if you think about it, we could sit here and have seven seconds of dead air, but I'm not going to do that because I like our listeners. That's kind of a, a long time for a ball to be in the air. Yeah, and the thing about it, too, is you know, we've talked about this before, particularly with the Adam Jones play, is that like catch probability is, is situation agnostic. It doesn't care that it's two rivals. It doesn't care that it's late in the game. It doesn't care that this would be a game-tying play. The, you know, the sort of the you – know, I always hate when people use – Sports analogies to describe other sports, but I'm mean, going to use a sports analogy here. Okay, can't wait. <laughs> um, to me, it's you know it reminds me of like in a basketball game late in the game, um, someone stars at the free throw line who's like an 85 percent free throw shooter, and they need to win the game with one with one free throw, and they make it, and it's still really dramatic, even though it's a shot they're supposed to make almost all the time. Right. But there's because of the moment. Because of what happens, it's still dramatic, even though it's 90, 85 or 90% likely to happen. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even sure you need to go outside baseball for that. I mean, just think about home run distance, right? Like, Giancarlo Stanton has our, our highest-tracked home run, 504 feet, uh, in Coors Field last year. I don't have no idea what the outcome of the game was. It almost doesn't matter. The point was, he did something amazingly cool in 504 feet. You wouldn't want to context-adjust that. Like, now, separately, if someone hits a grand slam in the bottom of the ninth, and it sneaks around, I don't know, the pesky pole, and it goes 317 feet, that's not nearly as impressive as a home run in terms of, like, crushing a baseball, but in terms of winning a baseball game, it's a million times more impressive. So it really comes down to what are you actually trying to measure? I don't think you should conflate those two things necessarily. Yeah, and it was, it, poor Matt Adams, like literally like three years ago, he had the at, at, uh, against the Cubs. Sweeney, wasn't Ryan it Ryan Sweeney? Sweeney? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. Like, almost the exact same play uh, uh, in the exact same part of the field robbed. Um, and then last night we had Kevin Pillar, um, obviously one of the outfield, you know. One of the best. One of the best defensive outfielders in baseball. Um, of course, it was – Manny Machado, just like in the World Baseball Classic. Of course Classic. it is. <laughs> um, 
and he cr- this is in the third inning, so not as big of a moment in the game. Um, crushes one straightaway center field, 111 miles per hour off the bat, like an 18 deg- 18 degree launch angle. Yes, I wrote this down. Yeah, yeah, Eight, right here. <laughs> 18 degree launch angle, and he goes back, makes the play, crashing into the wall. Still like a 90 plus percent catch probability, and you know, but to me, it was actually a more impressive catch than. Then uh, the Almore play, and is it is much more that play was much more in that gray area of kind of these plays what we're talking about because the ball was hit really hard, and he actually had to like he didn't have as much time to think about like okay how do I right. you know account for the, account for the wall here. and I think it was right over his head yeah, I right think he was head. going straight back so that I think that played into it as well but here's here's what I loved about that play so uh, that ball uh, had a uh, hit probability so this is from Machado's point of view with the exit velocity and launch angle of 86 percent so that, I mean that's the cooler story right there is that ball's a hit almost 90 percent of the time and Pilar ensured that it was not the previous batter was Adam Jones who hit a home run you know what the numbers were on Adam Jones home run 92 miles an hour off the bat 26% hit probability, but that ball left the yard because of like you know, the angle and where it was hit. And then this next one, 86% hit probability, Kevin Pillar brings it back. Yeah, that's I amazing. Mean, 92 miles per hour on a home run, that's like, it's that's real the, that's low. The low. I think the lowest we, we saw last year, like two whiskey, like 89. Yeah, it was something, something like, like that. It was but real low. To go back also on the, the Pillar play, what I also found was interesting is that he was playing Machado. His starting position was 332 feet from home plate, which is really deep. Pilar averaged last year 317. And, like, just for context, the high end is like Ian, La- Ian Desmond last year. 329. So, when you're playing 332, you, you know you're playing against. That's really deep. That's really deep. So, the fact that, like, Pilar was able to make that catch was almost entirely because of how deep he was this playing is, Machado. This is a recurring theme. Because yeah. if you look at the Almora catch, it's the exact same thing, right? He was 10 feet deeper than he was. He started at 326. Last year, he was at 316. And we talked about this with the Adam Jones WBC catch because he's a notoriously shallow center fielder. And he was playing whatever it was, 15 feet deeper for, I guess everybody respects Manny Machado. I mean, that's why everybody's <laughs> playing him deep. Um, but, yeah, you're right. If these guys are playing at their own normal spots, they most likely don't get to those balls. It's because they were doing something different that kind of put them in position to do something great. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, this, you know, this, I think there's been a lot of conversation thus far about, um, about catch probability on social media, which is, to me is great to see because, you know, people, you know, the whole wall ball thing has definitely been a talking point. But we're, you know, we're, we're, there's conversation being created around it. You know, we're, we're creating questions and that's, that's been part of the fun of it. And then obviously, you know, when we're talking about catch probability, there's one name that it always sort of comes back to. Uh, it is. Well, it's, sometimes it's Billy Hamilton. But for this purpose, it's Kevin Kiermaier, who I've really grown to love watching Kevin Kiermaier play because he makes these unbelievable catches, and he just makes them look so easy. I mean, we found this one from last year against Jacoby Ellsbury that I, it was a five-star play, I think, and he didn't even leave his feet. He was just, like, running at top speed. And so we're actually working on a better way to express speed on the bases and in the field right now. And I really think he's going to rank higher than you'd expect. I don't think he's going to be faster than Buxton or anything, but he's going to be pretty high. Well, right? We talked last. I think he's the fourth highest uh, max effort home to first times last year amongst left-handed batters, and it was like the guys ahead of him were like Billy Burns, Billy Hamilton, and D. Gordon. Right. So like we, you know, the speed, the speed, the speed is there, and like you know, there's a even last night uh, was it uh, uh, Ronald? It was Ronald Tor- Torres. Torres uh, like hit a blooper to center. And it was a four-star play, and Kiermaier sprinted in and caught it like it was like a basket catch. It was a basket catch, and you could see you could see on the video he was hustling. Yeah. I mean, the speed was there, and he kind of did this little hop, but he didn't come close to leaving his feet. I mean, that's and that's amazing right there. And you watch that play, and you would not. It was in terms of catch probability, and in terms of actually the type of play that it was, it was very similar to the sliding catch that Jackie Bradley Jr. made last night in the twelfth inning, which was also a four-star catch, a sliding catch, a very impressive catch. But whereas like Jackie Bradley had to like slide had to, to get leave it, his feet, yeah, yeah, you know, like. 
Kiermaier caught it like at his belly button. Well, there's something else interesting about Kiermaier is so the con- the way we're describing um, defining catch probability, it's based on how far do you have to go and how much time do you have to get there, and how far do you have to go is also based on how much where your positioning is, right? <coughs> Sorry, excuse me, and. Positioning kind of defines whether you have the opportunity to make this great catch. If you're 100 feet away from this ball, uh, you could make an amazing catch. But if you happen to be 10 feet away from that ball, you don't have that opportunity, right? So we kind of looked at that because Kevin Kiermaier, when we looked at the overall value of these guys last year, he ranked very highly, but he didn't rank at the top. And I was a little surprised by that. And if you look at it, he just did not have the opportunity that these same guys did. So we looked at the uh, estimated catch probability of balls hit to the outfielder. So it's the exact same idea. You can look at the catch probability of catches. You can also look at the estimated catch probability just of balls that were hit to that guy, and you can put the same value on that. He had the easiest, in giant air quotes here, easiest batted balls hit to him. So the average catch probability in baseball in outfielders last year was 83%. He had 89% hit to him. So those balls that were hit to him were lots of them were either either really easy fly balls or his positioning was great. And I don't think we know enough yet to know whether he's really good at positioning or the team is really good at positioning. We don't really know that yet. But if you look at like five-star chances, there are a couple of guys who had over 40 five-star chances. Jackie Bradley had 44 five-star chances. Kiermaier, no, I know he missed a few weeks of injury, uh, had only 10 opportunities all year long. We saw, I think, Inciarte caught 10 of them. <laughs> Kiermaier only had 10 chances to do so. So that hurts him, I think, a little bit in like what he's able to do just because the opportunity is not there. Yeah, for sure. And then one of the names that jumps out to me on the list of easiest uh, estimated catch probability is Mark Trumbo, 88%. So like, if, if the Orioles are shrewd enough to position Mark Trumbo so perfectly that he doesn't have to worry about tough chances. Yeah. But that's the thing. Is is it shrewd positioning? Is it dumb luck? I mean, yeah, it's Exactly. You know, we, don't, we don't really know. You'd have to, we'd have to almost have to see year over year if we're seeing the same players and same teams show up. Then you'll start to see, okay, these teams are really good at positioning their outfielders. Yeah, I, and that's that's the kind of thing where it's like, I think we, we all know enough to know that we do not know the answer to this yet. Like, that's something we, we need to explore as time goes And on. the positioning is obviously a huge thing. Going back to that, like, Pilar play, if Pilar is playing – where he normally plays on that Manny Machado hit, you know, whatever, 15 feet shallower, and he still makes the play, that becomes like a four-star catch because he right. had to go, would have had to go so much farther, right? In, in this, but in the same amount of time. That would be an unbelievable catch, <laughs> even with, with or out the wall, right? Uh, so what's cool about that is if you can do the catch probability of balls hit to a player and catch probability of balls caught by the player, you can compare those things and see who added or subtracted value. So that's kind of another interesting way to look at it. For example, Josh Reddick, uh, had balls hit his way with an average catch probability of 87%, and the catches he made had a probability of 87%. So he did more or less what was expected. Even Steven. You know, uh, Matt Kemp, for example, uh, balls hit his way at an average of 82%, so not quite as hard. The catches he made at an average of 75%, so he didn't quite add up to the value there. And if you look at the guys at the top, well, who had the number one like extra value added, in the least surprising news ever, Billy Hamilton who added plus 9%. And, you know, the names on this list will not shock you at all, except for Desmond Jennings, who every time I see him, he just signed a minor league deal with the Mets. Every time I look at our defensive metrics, it keeps showing up as he was actually pretty good last year, which is cool because you look at the other names on this list, and it's like, okay, Ligaris, yes, and Ciarte, uh, Mariznick, Keon Broxton, of course. But I always like something that kind of confirms most of what I thought but taught me something new, and it might be teaching me that Desmond Jennings is better than I think. Yeah, and the, they, but then you think, well, the Rays let him go, and the Rays are sort of savvy about defensive metrics why would that be i guess the other the other side of that coin is maybe they don't need more guys like him they're sort of set in terms of well, like glove first outfielders yeah. i mean he's been hurt he didn't hit you know maybe it's just he's been there for a long time maybe it's a change of scenery thing i don't know but for you know for the mets who could absolutely use a guy who could play some defense in the outfield for a minor league deal um i think that's fantastic so that's cool obviously 
uh, catch probability is something you know it's so brand new. We're hoping to learn a lot more about it. And um, so we got some five star catches on opening day. I was so happy about that. <laughs> yeah, we have a we have a slew of day games today. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll 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 see a few more. Yeah. So um, we're, we're kind of like watching these early games and trying to see what takeaways you know we can take from things. And obviously, you're not going to worry about some guy hitting like 700 in his first eight plate appearances. It doesn't matter that much. But some of the stuff we know stabilizes relatively quickly, right? Like if if some if Chapman starts throwing 92 tomorrow, uh, I don't need a ton of pitches to know that's a problem. Like you can kind of get that right away. And I think spin rate is one of those things. Like you know Seth Lugo if he was not injured you'd know right away his spin rate was awesome so you looked at the early curveball spin rate leaders. yeah it's a little, obviously it's it's a bit of a sad week for uh fans Crushed. of a big curveball big <laughs> high spin curveball guys can i tell you that at least three of our coworkers and one team employee reached out to me asking me if i was okay when we found out that Seth Lugo had hurt his elbow so i i've developed some sort of reputation here um yeah but i mean and then last night we have Garrett Richards who was pitching pretty well and had actually in the second inning broken off a 3,400-plus spin rate curveball to strike out Marcus Simeon, striking out the side, and yep. looked like himself. For, for the record, the the record on a curveball was Seth Lugo at 3,498. So to hit 3,400 is really, really good. Remember, before Seth Lugo, Garrett Richards was our king of spin. Yeah, and then, of course, I guess it was the, the top of the fifth or, or – Bottom of the fourth or bottom of the fifth, Richards had to leave with an injury. He's calling it, you know, biceps, uh, cramp, sort of, but it's not. It's obviously not a great sign after he missed right. all last year. You know, he opted out of Tommy John surgery to get a uh, PRP injection. So anyway, he's actually minimum five curves thrown so far. Garrett Richards is number one on our leaderboard, um, thirty-two, thirty-three RPM. Number two, Jeremy Hellickson. Number three, Rick Porcello. Number six, Rich Hill. So those are okay. all names. Makes sense. Makes sense. I'm on board. And then four and you five. You skipped some numbers there. Four and five <laughs> are very interesting. <laughs> at least for, you know, uh, idiots like us. Uh, number four, Jonathan Holder of the Yankees, um, who's interesting for a variety of reasons. One, Holder may be the best name ever for <laughs> it's a pretty relief good. pitcher. It's, it's better than Walker. Well, there, there's, a, there's a, a prospect who was drafted like last year whose organization escapes me, but his name is like Scott Blewett. <laughs> it's like the worst possible name for a pitcher. Uh, that's not, that's jo- not so good. Jonathan Holder, uh, great name for a pitcher. Jonathan Holder, uh, Yankees uh, reliever. Fascinating to me because in 2014, drafted third round. He was a Mississippi State closer. Drafted third round. Went and pitched in short season. You know, you would expect an SEC pitcher to go and pitch well. Struck out eight, 8.4 batters per nine. Okay, that's fine. The year after, goes up to, to high A. Strikes out 6.9 batters per nine. You're kind of like. Not so good. Not so good. Last year, across three levels, struck out 13.9 batters per nine and only walked one batter per nine. That is an amazing ratio. That's an amazing ratio. Uh, MLB Pipeline had him ranked as the Yankees' 26th prospect coming into the year. You know, relief pitcher prospects tend to not get a raised. strong Yankee system. Yeah, too. a strong Yankee system. And he's fourth on our list right now, 2961. So immediately, Jonathan Holder, after six curveballs thrown in 2017, becomes very interesting. Yeah, and just to go back to the point, I don't know if six curveballs is enough, but we know that spin rate does not take a long time to stabilize. Like you said, if I see Garrett Richards atop this list already, uh, that's pretty confident. And then, but then you couple it with sort of a guy making a big leap in a year, and now I suddenly want to go, go talk to Brian Hoke and be like, "Hey, can you go ask him right. about his curveball? <laughs> like, what changed? Is this is this sort of what made him take this leap in 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 dominance? Um, in fact, uh, I found when I was kind of looking him up, I found a uh, a piece on. Uh, from Jeff Sullivan. I'm shocked that Jeff Sullivan wrote like about last Jonathan November Holder. is like the most dominant reliever <laughs> in the minors. And then, of course, Jonathan Je- Jeff Sullivan also wrote about number five on our list here. Well, we say, well, 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 our number five guy here, uh, our, our 
early spin rate leaders on curveball is Austin Pruitt of the Tampa Bay Rays, who I can honestly say I had legitimately never heard of before like five days ago when our friend and colleague Richard Justice emailed us and said, hey, do you guys know anything about Austin Pruitt? He just made the, the Rays opening day roster. Uh, you know, Rays people tell me they love his curveball. And I, I think I was like, I've never heard of this guy, but cool. I'm looking forward to seeing him. And then like the next day, you know, our friend Jeff Sullivan writes about Austin Pruitt because that's just the most just Jeff Sullivan thing in the world to do. And if you look at his spin rate, uh, 29.50, so almost 3,000. I don't think he was actually successful. I think he got hit by the Yankees, but that's cool. I mean, that stands out. That's a pitch since it's not only the data, but it's someone we know telling us the team's interested in that. Now I'm really going to watch Yeah, we know, and again, it's the Rays, a team, the kind of team that you would think might be like really trying to like find guys based on anything. I mean, you know, spin rate maybe even one of them. I mean, Pruitt's also a guy who had a, a very good command control guy in the minors, and if you have like great command and one dominant pitch, you can be an effective Relief pitcher in the major league. Yeah, he's 27 years old, was not on the Rays' top 30. So, obviously, a high spin rate curveball is not by itself going to make you a dominant pitcher. You know, 376 ERA uh, in AAA last year. It's like, it's all fine, but this is kind of a cool way, like you say a lot, to the data can help you look at a guy you would have never thought about before. Because if not for this, I'd probably never even think to look at Austin Brewer. But now I'm actually pretty excited to see him pitch, and I want to see if this can help him sustain or not. Yeah, and speaking of uh, relief pitching, there's probably one team thus far, not to overreact too much, can overreact but, a little bit, right? Last night was bad. That, yeah, the, this is bad. The, the Texas Rangers, um, the bullpen is off to a not great start. Um, I remember on opening night, I looked it up. Matt Bush, who gave up seven barrels, um, and, you know, listeners, if you're unfamiliar, a barrel is what we define as sort of like the optimal way of hitting a baseball. You know, it starts at kind of like 98 degrees and a launch angle in the 26 to 30 range and kind of goes up from there. The harder you hit it, the wider the launch angle range becomes. It's basically like you know, how we identify, like, a perfectly struck baseball that is destined for extra bases. First game of the season, Matt Bush came in, who gave up seven barrels all of last season, and never more than two in a game, gave up three in his first game. Not so good. Not so good. And then last night, Sam Dyson, who I think was, like, second in ground ball rate amongst relief pitchers last year, gives up a grand slam he, to Francisco Lindor. As I remember, and I'm doing this from memory, so it might not be 100% correct, his night last night went, like, you know, single, single, out, Walk, walk, grand slam. Not so good. Um, and his he was having some velocity issues a little better last night. And so, like, I think he was down, like, two miles an hour from last year, his first time out. Last year, last night he got it up to, like, one mile an hour down, which is better. Uh, but it still did not did not go so well. We talked about the Rangers last year a lot as a team who very much outplayed their expected record. Like, they were unbelievable in one-run games. If there is a such thing as luck in baseball, I mean, that was that. And you never really expected it to sustain. I don't think either of us were very high on the Rangers coming into this year. I didn't expect it to happen in the first week of the season like this. No, and it's, and it's funny because I was also looking at their their success rate on on barrels thus far in the season. Again, small sample caveats apply, but they've actually been their pitchers have been fortunate on barrels. They've allowed five of them, and only two of them have gone for hits. Right. But I guess if, there, if there's good news for the Rangers is that they've hit six barrels of the team, which is the most in the majors in this short sample. Yeah, by the by the major league average, four of those five barrels should be hits. Yeah. Right. So having two of those five, that's actually pretty good. That's actually pretty lucky. Um, but a lot of questions in the Rangers' bullpen, I guess. And we have to, I think, kind of finish here on a guy we both really like. Um, and, you know, as far as backup catchers go, who was traded for another backup catcher last year is not really someone who stood out. Martin Maldonado plays for the Angels. He got traded... Uh, from Milwaukee for the best-named player in baseball, Jet Bandy. The, the rare catcher-for-catcher catcher challenge. Yeah, trade. it doesn't really happen that often, does it? 
And I remember when Martin Maldonado got traded, I immediately thought to myself, well, that guy's, that guy's got a, a great arm. There's just one clip we use a lot where he threw out one of the Cardinals last year. I don't remember who it was, from his knees. I think it was Colton Wong. Was it Colton Wong? Not, not 100% it, sure, but anyway. It entirely does not matter. But I think it was yeah, from his knees, and it was just dead on. And we looked up the data, and I think like the, the three strongest arm catchers in baseball from last year were like number one, Gary Sanchez. Uh, I think number two, Drew Brutera. And number three, Martin Maldonado. He's just unbelievable, like the, the stuff he can do. And the other night, not only did he destroy a base runner, it was Rajay Davis who can really move, and he was hustling on that play, right? You yeah, saw this. Yeah, Davis led the league, led the AL in stolen bases last year with 43, and uh, Maldonado had a 1.88 pop time. Last year, he led the majors with a 1.91 average pop I, time. And I think the major league average was like two seconds or 199. Something yeah, it's, like like it's right, around, right around two seconds. So he led the majors with an average pop time of 1.91, 87.5 miles per hour on the throw. Yeah. Just he threw it. Think about Davis, that. like, and it was like, Perfect. It was like, right on. But like, what does eighty-seven point five mean? So with the gear on behind the home plate from a crouch, he throws about five miles an hour harder than Jared Weaver does. Like that's amazing to me to think about. And like you know, like in Jordan Simmons catches it, like his glove is like right on the corner of the bag. He catches it, puts the dag out, and then he just sort of like puts his arm up like the umpire signal, like you're out, like get out of here, Raja Davis. It was a pretty. It was, you know, it was a, definitely a while you were sleeping moment because it probably happened at like one o'clock on the East Coast. Right. But it was like as good of a throw as you could make. And we had a, a story. Um, Maria Guardado, our uh, our Angels beat reporter, had a couple of great quotes. Matt Shoemaker, the pitcher who was the pitcher at the time, said it was unbelievable when he threw out Davis. I just crouched down and heard a whoosh. <laughs> That's nice to have. <laughs> Mike Socha, there's no doubt that when he throws, the ball comes out hot. Oh, I mean, that's an amazing quote. From Mike, Mike Socha, and that's former like, catcher. And that's like his uh, you know, second game with a new club. Like, if you're trying to ingratiate yourself to a new roster, to your new pitcher, to your to your legendary manager, that is a very good way to do it. And to go back to, I forgot who we brought it up before about, but yeah, we were talking about, you know, Pruitt and Holder, like Martin Maldonado, a guy you would never think about. And now it's like, anytime a runner's on base when I'm watching an Angels game and he's pitching, and I'm like, okay, let's... Yeah, that, that let's we, see this in action. We need to have like a stat cast, like a MLB TV game feed kind of thing, where it's like, okay, you might not care when Martin Maldonado is batting, whatever, but you super care when he's behind the plate and there's a stolen base situation with a runner at first. So immediately flip to that game. Like I think that would be just the coolest tool. You know, we can make that happen. Oh my God, Seth Lugo's pitching. Here comes curveballs. We'll uh, we'll get our product people right on it. We're ne- we never have a shortage of ideas. Just uh, you know, the uh, the I guess tenacity to actually put these insane ideas in play. Uh, that's our show for this week. This is the first week of the season. We're really excited to see what happens. Lots day games today. I am Mike Petriello. Matt Myers over here. Thank you for listening to the MLB.com StackCast podcast.